Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a community dedicated to helping women connect, learn and lead. One of the most exciting ways we do this is at our annual Future Women Leadership Summit. This year's summit was equally thought-provoking and inspirational, offering plenty of practical take-home advice to accelerate your career. If you couldn't make it, don't worry. I'm bringing you the next best thing to being in the room and sharing the highlights from this year's event. The world we live in is faced with a myriad of existential and societal problems, from poverty to gender inequality to climate change. These issues highlight the often shocking inequalities that exist in our systems and economy. Consequently, it comes as no surprise that corporations are under more pressure than ever to prioritise ethical behaviour and adopt a value-centric approach. In this episode, you'll hear from two women who share their advice on aligning purpose with profit. Kiara Laurie, CEO of Rightland Consulting, Australia's first majority foundation-owned professional services firm, has over 15 years of experience working in the public and social sectors and is passionate about creating positive social impact. In this discussion, Kiara sheds light on various business structures that effectively combine profitability with a strong sense of purpose. Today, I want to talk about ownership. I know, stick with me. I want to talk about ownership because I want to talk about purpose and how we can better align purpose and profit. I want to talk about how we can better balance the interests of employees, customers and society. Because when I think about all of the big problems, climate change, gender inequality, poverty, I can't help but think that there's a shocking imbalance in our systems, in our economy. Wage growth in real terms had its largest decline on record last year. And yet we saw record profits in many parts of our economy. The gender pay gap is stubborn. The fastest growing group of homeless people in Australia is women over 55. As a management consultant, I've worked across lots of different types of organisations, from big four banks to local charities, multinational consumer companies to advocacy bodies. And sometimes working across such different types of organisations, there's a polarised and highly disparaging view of how others operate. I'm being deliberately provocative, but at the extremes, you'd think that you could plot all organisations on a spectrum from Wolf of Wall Street to Animal Farm. It's unfair, but I'm sure many of you have worked for organisations that you felt were either too focused on profit at the expense of all else, or perhaps deeply committed to purpose, but inefficient in how they operated. I know I have. A couple of years ago, I found myself spending a lot of time thinking about, reading about and talking about different ways to organise, to better align driving purpose and profit. It was COVID. I was in Melbourne and I was home with my daughter who had entered that glorious and exhausting phase that any of you who've spent time with young children will know as the why phase. The one that leaves your head spinning and if I'm honest in my house, sometimes ends in a desperate plea of just because. In between getting questions about how the earth was created, why Tuesday is after Monday, (laughs) my daughter Lena became obsessed with money, how you get it, who gets it, why they get it and what for. 
In her childcare report, her educators said that she had a strong sense of justice and the questions just kept coming. At about the same time, a client asked me to help them with similar questions. A privately owned, national, successful business with a deep purpose that attracts and motivates their team. They asked for help to investigate models that would help them preserve their entrepreneurial spirit, embed their purpose, and set them up for long-term success. Different words, but in one of those moments of worlds colliding, they were fundamentally asking similar questions to my daughter, Lena. My COVID survival technique was all about throwing myself into things. Wholeheartedly, I binge watch shows start to end. I tried to cook everything in Annabelle Crabbe's recipe book, aside, her easy is not my easy. And I became obsessed about work and trying to answer Lena's questions about who gets what and why. Now, the good news is that if you imagine my deliberately provocative spectrum of Wolf of Wall Street to Animal Farm, there's a bunch of really exciting models in between. Models like steward ownership, foundation ownership, and social enterprise. And with my colleagues, I spent about six months trying to find out everything we could about these models. The one that you've probably heard the most about in Australia is social enterprise. They operate in all sectors of our economy. And to be a social enterprise, you have to do three things. You need to have a defined social, cultural, or environmental purpose. You need to derive a substantial uh, portion of your income from trade, and you need to invest your uh, efforts and resources into that purpose in a way where you find the benefits uh, outweighing any private benefit, the public benefit outweighing any private benefit. And there's a a number of models of these organisations. There's hundreds, in fact, of terrific social enterprises here in Australia. And if you're from Nam, from Melbourne, where I live, um, I want to give a shout out to one of my favourite, um, a catering company, an Aboriginal company called Bungie uh, that we love, which uh, make delicious food with native ingredients. The other models we looked at were less, less well known uh, in Australia, but they have long and successful history in the US and in Europe. Steward ownership is the overarching concept and legal structure in the US, and in Europe there's a long history of foundation ownership. Foundation ownership structures are used by some of the largest and most successful corporate organisations in the world, organisations like IKEA, Zeiss, Bosch. Foundation ownership places control of a company in the hands of a self-perpetuating foundation board whose members receive no incentive compensation. In Denmark, more than 1,300 companies are foundation-owned and account for about 20% of GDP. In Sweden and Germany, there's about another 1,000 foundation-owned companies in each. And a well-known example uh, is the Scott Trust, which owns the Guardian News Group. Professor Stein Thompson is the world-leading researcher in this area, and his research at the Copenhagen Business School in Yale finds that foundation-owned firms have better reputations, uh, they're more socially responsible, they're more stable employers, they pay their employees better, they keep them for longer, and importantly, they have equal or better long-term financial performance to their peer organisations. Last year, Patagonia made headlines becoming a steward-owned business, and this model is similar to foundation ownership. Steward-owned companies are committed to two principles, self-governance, control remaining inside the company with people directly connected to stewarding its operation and mission, and profits serving purpose, where wealth generated by these businesses cannot be privatised, but instead serves the mission of that company, are either reinvested in the company uh, or donated with investors and founders fairly compensated with capped returns and dividends. Now, foundation ownership was the model that we recommended to our client, but there was some apprehension. 
because the model was untested in Australia. And so after about a year of correspondence with the ATO and the ACNC and our largest ever legal bill, on 1 July 2022, we launched the Right Lane Foundation and transferred 55% of ownership to become the first privately owned company in Australia to be majority foundation owned. Our Right Lane purpose is about helping organisations that do good do better. We were the first management consulting firm to be B Corp certified, and we've always had a deep commitment to purpose. And so foundation ownership felt like a really natural transition and an important way to entrench our commitment to long-termism and to profit serving purpose and helping ensure um, an enduring commitment to balancing the interests of our team, our clients and society. And while we were proud to be the first majority foundation-owned business in Australia, we certainly hope we aren't the last. 1 July 2022 was also the day I took over as CEO. Transitioning to foundation ownership was an important part of why I wanted to lead our team. I first started talking about taking on the CEO role when my youngest Gus was three weeks old. And I started in the role the very same week that he turned one. He hasn't yet got to the Y phase. He's at that toddler, two-word commands, get it, read it. But I know he too will ask why. And as he and Lena get older and are able to interrogate how I'm spending my work days, I'm really proud that I'll be able to tell them that I'm working for a foundation-owned business that helps organisations that do good, do better. Next, you'll hear from Anne Bennett, Vice President of Customer Success for Salesforce. With over 25 years of leadership experience, Anne shares her learnings about aligning her personal and professional values and offers advice on how to serve as a leader rather than a boss. Hi, I'm Anne Bennett. I am married to my high school sweetheart. We have two beautiful children. Callum is 15 and Eliza is 12. I'm the youngest of two daughters and I grew up with a very feminist mother and an extremely feminist father. I tell you these things so that when I share with you my personal values, you'll understand a little bit more about me. I have three values that I hold deeply and they're non-negotiable to me. The first is kindness. Kindness in giving feedback, kindness in how you work with your people, kindness in how you extend your networks to others. My children were in daycare from when they were quite young and if maybe now I'm dating myself, you used to have to fill out a form every term. What do you want your child to learn this term? A few terms of this went on and eventually one of the carers said to me, and we think you've misunderstood the assignment. I was like, oh, okay. We want to know what you want the children to learn. Do you want them to learn their alphabet? Do you want them to learn to count? Because every term I wrote the word kindness. It was important to me that my children are kind to each other, that their carers instill kindness in them, and in those moments that I'm not around them, that that value is instilled deeply. I said to this very, very well-meaning woman, no, no, I'm sure they're going to learn all of that. All I want you to do is make sure that they really are the kindest versions of themselves that they can be. The second thing is determination. Determination to do everything I can. I'm not very good at being told no, 
that it's not possible for me to do something. I even remember the first time that it happened and I was three and someone told me I couldn't swim the length of that pool. Well, this poor swimming teacher was probably mortified when I jumped in, swam the length of the pool and I still have that dog-eared certificate there at home to prove that I can do it. And the third is integrity or trust. My dad was a professional swimmer when he was younger and at the age of 16, he was competing to get into the Olympics team. Dad was a backstroker and this was when it was 110 yards in the 1960s, think no technology. Beautiful sunny Perth day, dad set off. He was well down the first leg of that pool and swimming way in front of all his competitors. He got to the turn, he missed the turn, no touch pads. What do you do in that moment? Dad went back and touched the wall. He came in seventh that day and he never swam professionally again. He would always tell my sister and I this story and we would say, but Dad, you could have gone to the Olympics, but Dad, you could have had these medals. And he would say, but I wouldn't have earned it. I wouldn't have deserved it. It is integrity in those micro moments that matter the most to me. I would have known that. Even when no one's looking, it's really important that you and your sister are being trustworthy, that you're showing up with integrity. I'm very fortunate to work in a company that aligns with my values. At Salesforce, we have five core company values, trust, customer success, innovation, equality, and sustainability. One thing I'd really like to share with you all while you're looking for some practical tips in what I've just shared is that I spent a lot of time making sure my personal values and my company values are aligned. Now, I was asked to share a practical tip about managing. I don't manage my team. I don't lead my team. I am privileged enough to serve them. And all I ask is that they understand my values, they understand the company values, and we work together. My role as a leader is to serve those people. It's to remove things that get in their way from them being their very, very best self at work. It's to understand the policies and processes that have grown up in organisations that are now impeding them in doing what they can be. And finally, I'd like to leave you with three very practical things that you can do tomorrow. The first is your homework on your personal values and your company values. Say yes. Say yes when they say, would you like to present to 400 people and a couple thousand online? Sure, absolutely. Say yes, we need your voices in the room. If it's a stretch assignment, if it's to join a project team, if it's to present at your team meeting, say yes. You'll be amazed with what you learn and you will bring diversity to a conversation and a new experience to yourself. Secondly, build a village. It really, really takes a village. Uh, my children have had nannies, they have had daycare, they have amazing grandparents, and my husband has been their primary carer from the time they were born. So whilst I have a great village, I also had to let the village be. Eliza has many school photos where her hair is not done. She went to many birthday parties in outrageous outfits that I was mortified by, but the child just had her own sense and Anthony was much better at going with that than I was. 
Callum, at one point in time, convinced my husband that not that his time of bed went five minutes later each year he got older, but it went 45 minutes later. (laughs) I lived in Sydney and worked in Melbourne for seven years. And when I realised this, I was mortified. But I wasn't dealing with it. I wasn't putting him to bed. I wasn't waking him up and getting him to school the next day. That was their situation and it really mostly worked. And then the last thing I'd say is build your network and make it not just broad, but make it deep. Breadth in your network is really important because then you get more diverse ideas, you get more diversity of thought, you get different opinions and advice to what you would normally. But also build depth in it. Every role that I have had or been offered in the last 10 years has come from my network. Hasn't been advertised, hasn't been known about. I was speaking to someone who was speaking to someone and they said, I know someone who'd be really good for you to speak to about that. And as you're building depth in your network, you need to invest time in it. And then even more importantly, you have to share it. I love connecting my mentees to other people that I know or finding new mentors that can help someone that is really, really looking for some different advice on something that I haven't had any experience in. So invest some time in your network and share it. It will bring you back rewards in years and years to come. Thank you. Thanks to our speakers, Kiara Laurie and Anne Bennett. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.